You know, we're living in a, in a time where Orwell put it best, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And whoever thought truth-telling would be censored. There is a strategy, there's a global strategy, uh, an agenda, if you will, for Christianity. And the strategy of globalism is really threefold. Number one, to deconstruct history. If you take the history away from a people, so goes the logic, you take away that heritage, then they don't remember what they don't have. And so that process begins uh, little by little, whether it's taking down a statue or whether it's rewriting a textbook, but there is that deconstruction of history. And there is then that next point, and that's control the narrative. Once you frame the narrative, you can begin then to work from that narrative, and anybody who opposes that, that narrative is then wrong and censored. And that is exactly what happens. So if you frame the narrative, for example, there is a God, then you put everyone who doesn't believe in God on a defensive. If you say there is no God, then you put everybody who believes in God on the defensive. And that's how you control the narrative. Then the third thing is to capture a generation. And I think uh, many, many parents have been shocked, really, by overhearing over Zoom what teachers have been teaching. Not all teachers, but some teachers have been teaching their children. And for the first time, their eyes were opened and say, wow, that's not exactly an education, and that's not exactly what I was expecting to hear. And so truth always has a way of finding its way into the light and into the forefront. That will happen. I do believe in the, the spirit of the American. I believe there's something inside of us that says you can push me only so long, and then I will stand back up, and I will defend the rights of the republic. And we can do that. I, we can do that without violence, without any problems. We can do that through the legislative process. We can do that through the court system. We can do that in a good way, but it takes involvement on all of our parts. Amen? And that's happening. That's coming. Justice William Douglas wrote this. He said, as nightfall does not come all at once, neither does oppression. In both instances, there is a twilight when everything remains seemingly unchanged. And it is in such a twilight that we must be most aware of change in the air, however slight, lest we become unwitting victims of the darkness. You know, it's easy to, to think it's all going to get better. It's easy just to kind of close your eyes and, and feel like there's somebody smarter, somebody more powerful, somebody more positioned than you or me that can make a difference in the world. The reality is it's not. It's, it's your job and it's my job. It's our job because it is not only our lives and our future, but it's our children and our children's children's future that we have to be concerned about. In 2001, there was a shifting of a nation. Our nation shifted. We all know it. Everyone can remember where you were on 9-11 20 years ago. If you were born, that is. Some of you won't remember that. But you remember something about that. And you remember just a spirit of, of unity that was in our nation. Because now we have an enemy somehow, we don't know who it is, but we have an enemy that is out for our destruction. That, that was something new for us. We hadn't seen an enemy since the Cold War. 
The Cold War rallied people in America around America because we really didn't know what the threat was from, uh, at that time, the USSR. And we, we found ourselves unified around that. My father was in the military. He spent two years in East Berlin when he wasn't supposed to be in East Berlin as an agent of the U.S. Army. But I related to it very well because I didn't see my dad for two years. And those things have a dramatic effect on you and the way you look at life. So when you fast forward to 9-11, now we have a unifying thing that we can build ourselves around and say we have to defend, we have to stand up, and, and our nation matters, and, and the lives of 3,000 people matter. They matter. So our, our national identity was reshaped almost in a moment. Some of you remember on those Sundays that followed 9-11, churches were filled, but only temporarily. Once it seemed the crisis was over, uh, the religion of the foxhole went away. Changed? Yes, we changed, but we were not transformed. I want to put a chart up here, and I'm going to explain it to you uh, a little bit later in the message, but this chart uh, is my attempt to try to help you understand the globalist agenda. Uh, let's start at the very bottom. It says Babylon. Babylon is the first human kingdom in the Bible. You find it in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Some of you are more familiar with the idea of the Tower of Babel. That's where you find it. It's uh, led by someone by the name of Nimrod, and he is the first globalist in the Bible. It's the first human kingdom, but it, it is more than just something physical. It's actually spiritual. Babylon runs itself from the book of Genesis chapter 10 all the way through when it's finally destroyed. It's called the Great Whore, the Mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. So it is a spirit of our age that says, let's eliminate God and let's control mankind. That's exactly what Nimrod did. He enslaved people in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And he became mighty in the land and he tried to control the world. And the symbol of that was going to be the Tower of Babel. And we remember what God did. God confused the languages in that moment and, and divided the people up so that they could not move into this idea of globalism. So if you look at the chart a little bit further, you'll notice that I, I put 9-11 on there, and then I put uh, 2021 uh, 9-11, and I have a scripture above it, and we're going to look at that scripture in just a moment. But we know something's in our future. We don't know when it is, whether it's one year or a thousand years. It really doesn't matter for our sake this morning. The idea is there is coming a one world leader in Scripture, uh, kind of the highlight chapter of his coming uh, to power is Revelation chapter 13. That's where that very familiar passage is about the mark of the beast. And then at the end of that tribulation period, there is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where heaven will split open and we will see him and we will and he will put an end to all war. He will put an end to the rebellion of mankind and we will usher in he will usher in a thousand years of peace. Well, I want to take you back now to 9/11/2001. And I want to talk about the stagnation of a nation. In Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 and 45, the Bible says this, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and he finds none. 
Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, so it shall also be with this wicked generation. Now, what Jesus was doing, he was illustrating that you can reform your life, but if you don't fill it up with the right thing, if you don't fill it back up with God, then you open yourself up for more evil and more problems. So what happened in 9-11 back 20 years ago was we reformed some things, we changed some things. And yet we, we didn't fill it back up with revival. We didn't fill it back up with a move of God. We left it open, and, and patriotism is very valuable, and I'm a patriot, but it cannot fill the void of God. Loving your country is valuable, and I love my country, but it does not fill the vacuum of God. And what this nation needs more than anything else, it needs a return to God. It is to have a heart that beats with God and to seek him above all other things, to put everything else second and put God first in our life. Not only as an individual, as a church, as a community, but as a nation. You see, God is longing to restore his people. God is longing to bring revival to his people. But he doesn't do that unless we hunger and thirst after righteousness. There is something that's happening in our day, and it's been termed as the new atheism. Atheism of yesterday was an atheism that said there is no God. And we built all kinds of ways to talk to the atheists and convince them that there was a God. And it was a really simple kind of an understanding. I believe in God, you don't. But the new atheism is different, and it really was introduced from 9-11. It would only take a few years after that, at 2006 to be precise, where there would be a real move on the part of people like uh, Christopher Hitchens and others who, would, who were atheists who would begin to pinpoint the real problem with America was religion. And so they began to group everybody into one. So they took the radical Islamic terrorists of 9-11, and they put those in a category of people who, you see what following God does? And if you're too serious about God, you see what the end result will be? Now, all of them forget that it's Marxism that somehow has, is, depending on which uh, chart you look at, they're responsible directly for at least 100 million deaths worldwide. Some charts have taken that as high as 500 million. And yet that's not done in the name of God. That's done in the name of atheism and Marxism and communism. But David Horowitz wrote this of the new atheism. He said, they see themselves as liberators, pioneers of a new millennium for the human race. They envision a future in which religion has been vanquished and rationality prevails. They want a world in which humanity is finally free from the myths and superstitions. They believe in a vision of a world of new men and women liberated from the chains of the past. Science will usher in a utopian age. Have you noticed there's been a lot of referencing to trust the science lately? It's not accidental, it's very strategic, and it's very purposeful in what's happening. Because it's, it's the fulfillment of what you're reading here, a utopian age of reason, enlightenment, 
and social justice. Did you notice those terms? They, they almost sound like what we hear daily uh, in our media feeds. Um, reason, enlightenment, social justice, and science. We need new men, new women, and a vision where we get rid of religion and we get rid of superstitions. You see, this is a new atheism. It's not that they say there's no God. It's just no God that you can be serious about. And if that God, I, I read an article in, in Foreign Policy magazine, which is a, I don't recommend. It's a very liberal magazine, but I like to see what somebody else is saying sometimes. And I read an article, and in the group was radical Islamic terrorists and Christian nationalists. Now, let me tell you what a Christian nationalist. Supposedly, this is a bad thing. I'm a Christian. I believe in a nation. But when I put those two things together, I'm a Christian nationalist, and I'm the same as an Islamic radical terrorist. You see, this is controlling the narrative. This is what we're dealing with, right? And, and if you attack that, then you're, you're, you're seen more guilty than you were before because you've questioned the narrative. And if you question the narrative online, then you're censored from being online because free speech, though a big part of our, our Constitution right, is not valid if somebody owns the tech company that happens to allow you to post on their site. You see, there's new gods that are coming. You know, Jesus uh, warned us. He said, you know, you're, you're going to hear people come and say, uh, I'm coming in your name, or I am God, or I am Lord, or I am this. And, and, uh, and, and you, you have to have discernment to know how to distinguish between, is this truth or is this a lie? And, and that only comes from you knowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God that lives in you. You don't just naturally have this ability to, of, of discernment. It's something that's God-given. And when God-given comes, you know that, that there's something significant there, that some, God is saying something. I went to the bank the other day to do a transaction, and there's a, uh, a young teller that's Muslim, and uh, I make it a point when I go there to say hi to her because I don't want her to have an idea of me as a Christian as against her. You see, this is a country that has Christians and it was founded on Christian principles, but we have a lot of people. And the pluralism of this country is important. To not have a state religion is important. That's what we left when we left Europe to come here. The pilgrims, they came here to establish Freedom and not a state religion. So we respect mankind. We love mankind. We, we ultimately try to show people the way to Jesus Christ because we believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father by, but by him. That is the core of who we are as a people. But we also are to be respectful and loving and kind and good citizens, and we are to be the kind of people that care about the environment, and we care about jobs and schools and communities and all of those things. That's who we are. And that should never change. Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, one of my favorites, he wrote this. He said, wokeness is a new religion, growing faster than lar and larger than Christianity itself. Its priesthood outnumbers the clergy and exercises far more power. Silicon Valley is the new Vatican. Amazon, Apple, and Facebook, and Google, and Twitter are the new Gospels. It's a poignant statement, isn't it? It, it makes you step back and kind of wonder, is he on to something here? 
You know, whatever you give your devotion to, that becomes an idol in your life. And the addiction that comes through social media, we've all experienced, at least most of us have, if we've had any time at all. So much so that we even have a device on our phone that tells us how long we've been on in case we overdo it and we can back off a little bit. My wife's always has more on hers than me. I don't want to give it away, but it's true. Actually, I don't know if it's true or not. We'll have to check it on the way home. But I want to talk to you about the salvation of a nation as well. You know, the reason that you care is because it's worth, about a nation is because it's worth saving. I love having dialogues with people I disagree with, but I don't like to be shut down by people I have a dialogue with. I don't have to agree. You don't have to agree. That's part of what it means to be human, have different points of view, right? That's the way it should be. But William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, wrote this, and his words just keep ringing back in my ear every time I read this quote. It just is stronger and stronger. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Just, let's just take that apart a little bit here. What, hap- what good is religion without the Holy Spirit? Do you realize that you do not know God unless the Holy Spirit has come and radically changed your heart? You know about him, but you don't know him. You see, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he was talking to his disciples, he's with you now, but he will be in you. He was talking about the coming day of Pentecost when when there would be a great move of God and people would encounter and we would become the house of the Holy Spirit, if you will, on planet Earth. And then Paul wrote in Romans, he said, you know, no one, no one, unless they're led by the Spirit, are sons of God. Hebrews put it another way. He said, if you you be without the chastisement or the correction of God, then you'd be an illegitimate son or daughter. So there's something about the Holy Spirit that is so critically important. Now, I know some churches treat him like the weird uncle that shows up at Christmas. You know that uncle. We all have one. Maybe it's an aunt. Just think, oh, is she coming this year? Can't we go to the Bahamas or something for Christmas? And the Holy Spirit is like that in many churches and many people's lives. Well, you know, I don't know. He's kind of weird, isn't he? No, he's really not. He's the third person of the Trinity, and he came to love you, comfort you, and indwell you. Amen? So what happens if you have a religion without the Holy Ghost? Or what if you have a Christianity without Christ? You know, one of the warnings that Paul gave us in Scripture was that in the last days, we would see those moments in time where people would search out for teachers after their own liking who would just tickle their ears. Tell me I'm good, tell me everything's gonna be okay, and give me four ways to be happy driving a minivan. I mean, that's a real sermon title, by the way. I just wanted to tell you that. 
Or maybe, maybe just recently, uh, a very prominent pastor of a very large church came out and endorsed the chaplain, who's an atheist, at Harvard. I mean, there's something wrong with it. Does that tell you something's wrong in our world? Especially when 10 of the first 12 presidents of Harvard were ministers, and it was established to train pastors? That's the day we live in. How about, how about forgiveness without repentance? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No, the idea is that we come to God and we repent. And the word repentance is a word that means to, we're going in one direction. We stop. We turn around. We go the other direction. That's repentance. That's what Christianity teaches, repentance. And salvation without generation, regeneration. You see, salvation is not in the church. You're not, you're not saved because you go to church any more than you're a car because you walk into a garage. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The one who died for your sins, who was buried and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. That's how salvation comes. And then how about a politics without God? Just last week, our president said that life does not begin at conception and was against the Texas law that if the baby has a heartbeat, you don't abort it. It's not just a religious matter. It's a human rights matter. You know, in 1973, most people didn't know what was really going on inside. You couldn't really tell like you can today about a baby. And so in some ways we knew it was wrong and, 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 and yet the Supreme Court made a decision, Roe versus Wade. But now you can take and you can see inside the womb and it's, there's no doubt there's a person there and, and, and that person has everything just in miniature. How can you miss that? By the way, if by some chance, and it, usually this is the case, if you've had an abortion, you're, you're forgiven. God loves you. You know, don't, don't live under a penalty of judgment. See, when Christ sets you free, he sets you free. Amen? Amen. And a heaven without a hell. I know people that don't want to hear about hell. I don't want to hear about hell. I really don't like to preach about hell, but Jesus said more about hell than he said about heaven. I wonder why. I'll tell you how I got saved. I don't know about you. I got the hell scared out of me. I started reading the Bible. I said, I'm in trouble. Everything is said it not to do. I'd already done like 10 times. I read about, I'm not going there. I don't know. I'm getting the other, I'm going the other way. Now, some of you just got loved into heaven. You know, you didn't get scared in. I got scared. In 2 Chronicles, listen to what it says, if my people, it doesn't say the world, doesn't say the lost, doesn't say the atheist, it said if my people who are called by my name, if, if you are called by the name of God, if you say I identify with the God of the Bible, he says then if you will humble yourself, starts with humility, not arrogance, not pride, not self-righteousness, just pure old-fashioned humility, humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
In other words, when I do that, when I seek God like that, everything else eclipses. It, it just gets out of the way. Because now I'm focused on God. God, what are you going to do? I know what everybody around me is trying to do, but what are you going to do? I want to humble myself before you. I want to pray and seek your face. I just want the face of God. And, and that, that image is, is that of, I want to get face to face with God. I want, I want to know what God is thinking. I want to know what God is feeling. I want to know what God has said. I want to, I want to seek your face, God. And then turn from your wicked way. There's probably somebody in here that's got a wicked way. My guess is about 100% of you. Often thought a great sign out in front of a church would be sinners welcome here. All others stay away. See, when you begin to think you got it all together is when you miss out. If you'll turn from your wicked way, then, and, and notice now the word then, it's a very important critical word in the passage because this is then. When you do all those things then, I will hear from heaven. In other words, God's saying your land is in a disaster because you're not humbling yourself, praying, seeking my face, and turning from your wicked way. But if you'll do that, how many? It doesn't say. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's 10,000. Maybe it's 100 million. I don't know what the number is, but I can't wait for somebody else to do it. I need to do it. Amen? You need to do it. This is a call of God on our life and on our church. Humble yourselves. Pray. Seek the face of God. Turn from your wicked way. God will hear from heaven, and he will forgive their sin. And look what he would do. He will heal the land. God is the healer God. He doesn't just heal physical bodies. He heals nations. We have a nation that is bruised and battered lost its way and forgotten God, but it's time to bring a nation back, amen? It's time to call a nation back and, and, and return to, to the things that are important, not just as a nation, but as, as people who lo know the Lord, who love the Lord, amen? I want you to stand with me, and I want you to repeat this scripture with me. We're gonna put it up on the screen for you so you can see it, if my people, Second Chronicles, if my people, yeah, this is how it works. I'm gonna say it, you're gonna repeat it. That's what it means repeat after me, all right? This is like church 101. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Father, we pray for the healing of a nation. We pray for the healing of a people. We pray, God, that we would humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and that, God, you would work a work in our day. God, that we would, we would seek you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, that we would make you the Lord and the master and the king of every aspect of our life and that you would bless us, God, beyond what we could ever imagine. You would bless us as a nation beyond what we could ever imagine. God, we need you more than we need anything else. We need God. We need God. Amen.